the the question that was bouncing around my head this week as I was thinking about this topic and that I wanted to put to you and to the listeners is so Lover of the Light by Mumford and Sons that's that's a prank, right? Nobody really likes this song. Everybody knows that's bullshit. It's just mm. it's just at my expense, right? Mm. I think we'll have to drop in a, a clip to remember oh, which one it is. I'm sh- I know that I know that <laughs> phrase, so I must know that song. Uh, I've been it's been everywhere this week, and I know it's not a new song. Like this is not like you know it's not like the new Taylor Swift just dropped, and it sounds like Mumford mm-hmm. and Sons. It's just just randomly everywhere this week, and mm. I've never liked it. And right now, I'm particularly like, mm. this Do is that. a joke. This is a joke at my expense. No, everybody knows that this song is complete and utter bullshit. Mm. It was on their first breakout album, right? Maybe, probably not the more recent one. I'm not a fan in general. Most of their stuff, though, I just merely like. I'm like, whatever. It's from it's from 2012. If that helps. Uh, hmm. uh, so I was thinking about this a lot this week. About Mumford and Sons and whether or not Lover of the Light is bullshit? No, more general. That would be really funny because then I think you'd feel very affirmed. More generally, I was thinking about unless I have a very concrete and deep experience with an album or an artist or a particular song, everything blurs into this big cloud of the past. I have no Mm -hmm. idea which was an artist's first album. I don't know even relatively what year it was. Mm -hmm. The other, oh, crap. The other day, Billy and I were talking about, uh, oh, 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 and now I'm forgetting again. What's the band that did Swing Life Away? Do you know that single? Oh, I do. Um, Come on, internet. Yeah, I'm going to have to internet. And I keep losing. Rise Against. Rise Against, yes. We had been talking about bands from the 90s that our students and people younger than our students are just now discovering. Like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, have you heard of blah, blah, blah? Um, Have you heard of Green Day? Just kidding. Um, (laughs) Have I heard of Green Day? Who are are they? Who is Green Day? Green Day. Wow. Swing Life Away actually came out in 2005. So here's the kicker, though. I thought that was much more recent than that. And see, I thought it was way earlier because (laughs) I was attributing that. Here's what probably happened. So if it came out when I was, you know, maybe 15 or something, Mm -hmm. what I was listening to then would have been cool another 10 years before that. Oh, gotcha. Because I was discovering mm-hmm. basically like the sound of music. The <laughs> not the musical. The hills are alive with the sound of Katie listening to the 90s. It's the sound of Rise Against. Welcome back to 90s Quarter with Katie and Max. Um, but yeah, no, so I was, I was lumping it together. So I was telling Billy, oh, you know, bands that have that sound, like that song, Swing Life Away, even though Mm -hmm. that song was not similar to what else that band did, it was stuff like that, you know, early nineties. Yeah. (laughs) Wait a second. And then I backed up (laughs) and then I looked at the name of the band. I was like, wait, Rise Against. I was like, oh, hell no. That was not the early nineties. No, nobody could have been named Rise Against in the nineties. That technology didn't exist yet. You are listening to Priority, a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leibman and her brother, Max Leibman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled More Traditional Quirks. For complete show notes, including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, visit us online at priority.fm slash 45. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about about things just kind of becoming a general soup with the era cuz I mean that definitely that definitely happens with me. Um we've we haven't really talked about it, but we've briefly discussed before that the way that that smell is of the sense that that is, you know, particularly well attuned to trigger memories. But I would say, you know, the one that we think of, the one that people tend to think of though as triggering memories tends to be songs. Mm-hmm. And it's in a weird kind of way. I, I was thinking about this recently, not not even preparing for this episode, but just thinking about um, nostalgia and, and music. 
And it kind of occurred to me that the songs that are not our personal particular favorites from an era are probably the ones that are going to most accurately and and um, strongly trigger memories of an era. Mm. Um, because if you were to really like if you were if you were really into something and you add it to your collection and it becomes part of your your personal oeuvre, part of your soundtrack and you carry it around with you and you revisit it periodically, you'll keep building new associations with it. Mm-hmm. Um like, you know, I there's a there are there are songs, you know, from the 80s that I know from the 80s that I have very strong associations with, you know, say for instance, we're just talking about 2005. With 2005, the last time that I was working in in um uh, at a grocery store, mm-hmm. uh, because those you know some of those songs were in the uh, the saddled bastard uh, station that was being played on the radio in the grocery store, what and now that's what I associate. Said? Which two words? Did you say I said saddled blaster? Sad old bastard. Wow. Radio station. Okay, I thought maybe because I've never worked retail, I thought maybe it was the the brand of some sort of. <laughs> pre-programmed no, I, station I, I think i think the brand in every grocery store i ever worked in was muzak um the uh the the service not the actual style i've never worked anywhere that had the actual like you know kenny g-ish instrumental renditions of popular songs mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. yeah but anyhow it's if, if it was something you really loved you'd keep building new stuff like mm-hmm. you'd associate it with your entire life since you first heard it um, even if it had particular memories, and it probably would, you you would keep accreting new things and keep weakening those old associations. Whereas something that was ubiquitous, even something that you happened to like during a certain period, but then you didn't listen to again for 5, 10, 15 years, that's going to be a better trigger. Um, and I'm thinking in particular of uh, like a lot of 90s rap and R&B that I didn't particularly love at the time, and most of which I don't like today. But if I happen to hear it, it's something that was ubiquitous then. It was everywhere, and I haven't heard it in the meantime. So all of a sudden, I'm in high school again, mm-hmm. as an example. Mm-hmm. I sort of want to make a game out of this. So mm-hmm. when I – so it's sort of like music association, right? Mm-hmm. So as an example, Max, what music of yours do you think of when I say Spice Girls wannabe? <laughs> What music of mine do I think of? Mm-hmm. Like what would have lined up with that moment in time? Oh, with that moment in time, that would have been uh, Semi-Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind. Oh, nice. That would have been uh, Matchbox 20's first album and their first four singles, which I believe were Long Day, Push, 3 a.m., and Real World. Um, somebody can check the Wikipedia uh, when they listen back to this and see if I'm right. Mm-hmm. Um, that would have been an album by a band called Naked, who has several albums on uh, iTunes and Apple Music right now, but not that album from 1997, <laughs> which is really annoying to me. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, and probably a lot of other things, too. Oh, Bare Naked Ladies, um, Old Apartment, mm-hmm. would have been right in the pocket there. Jeez. So this is hilarious, and I... Uh, uh, by the way, by the way, um, before we get too far away from Wannabe, Wannabe is a perfect example because it's a song that at the time I hated, I loathed sure. that song uh, with every fiber of my being. And about 10 years later when I, when I you know, rediscovered it in, well, not even 10 years later, it wasn't 2007 yet, but you know, say, say seven or eight years later when I rediscovered it, again around 2005, I was like, you know... A, because I haven't listened to this in seven years, this really conjures the summer of 1997 for me. And B, it's actually not a bad song. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when it was inescapable, that's harder mm-hmm. to. Well, it's inescapable and you don't like it. You know, mm-hmm. those two things. Mm-hmm. Not my two favorite qualities in anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you, you don't want a relationship like that. Um, you don't want a job like that. You don't want to live under a regime like mm-hmm. that. A diet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, an inescapable diet. Yeah, just it's not like, celery it's not like everywhere. Stomach stapling. Oh, yeah, that got gruesome. At any yeah. rate, so that's an interesting sort of slice. Um, and once again, as we know, the podcast is. Um, in my space for working out my issues um, and and discovering more about myself and the listeners are just here for the ride, mm-hmm. as we know. 
Um, but that is so funny because I, I picked that because it would be a good trigger because of its ubiquity, its catchiness, um, you know, Spice Girl and girl band and boy band fever at the time was rampant. Mm-hmm. But what's funny is because of my age at the time, I was allowed to and was part of, allowed, allowed to be in part of that culture because um, I would have been little, right? So I'm Spice was, culture. Spice culture. Uh, tarragon, baby, sporty. <laughs> Old. <laughs> I think that was the boy band side. Oh, uh, okay. man, all of those samples in the magazines. Oh my stinky, gosh. stinky age. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, so I was, you know, I was part of that. I was the target audience. I was meant to talk about it constantly at school with my, with my pals. Um, but I had an older brother who was into all those other albums you just mentioned, which is why at the same time I was also listening to them. Mm. So I've got, I was looking back through, um, some old iTunes playlist that I had created, um, and I've got samples of so many different things, stuff that I was into and discovered on my own, but stuff that uh, you would have playing on the radio on our way to school in the mm-hmm. gray Astro van. <laughs> <laughs> Good um, times. Yeah. Max and our siblings doing the carpool thing. Um, yeah, because I've got, oh, what all is there? Yeah, I've got Bare Naked Ladies, Matchbox. Yeah, it's just so funny. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. one other thing I was thinking about too was, uh, so I, I I also was thinking about the ways that different sensory experiences build up memories and and take us back to those experiences. Um, but just now, as you were talking, what I was thinking about was this idea of trigger. I think is really powerful, and I was thinking about how in movies there are certain really, and mostly I'm thinking of creepy or eerie moments where um, the creators of the movie have paired, they have juxtaposed um, an otherwise pleasant song with a really creepy moment Mm -hmm. um, so that you get that that eerie, inappropriate feeling, um, you know, at the height or at the end of a movie or something like that. Um, I don't know why I'm thinking of this one because it's not a good movie and I watched it once and then wish I hadn't. Uh, but when the horror movie Jeepers Creepers came out, mm-hmm. um, I would have been at a sleepover with my little girlfriends. Um, but at the end of that movie, and I'm you know, sort of ruining it, but oh well, it's a horror movie from like 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, if you haven't seen Jeepers Creepers <laughs> at this point, then I don't you think probably shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't anyway. It's silly. Um, but by the end, uh, Justin Long's character has had his eyeballs cut out of his head, like all the way through his head. For whatever reason, you can see all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, and the monster thing has taken them. That's the whole deal. Mm-hmm. As they are zooming out and revealing that that is what has happened and that's the final scene of the movie, they start playing the old-timey song, Jeepers Creepers, Where'd You Get Them Peepers, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um so you are grossed out. You are you are forced to suddenly pair this song with this image, um, and it gives you that new association. So creepy and horrible and gross. And now, anytime I think that phrase, I think of that movie scene. Right. Um, what I was thinking of though was that it's not like in a movie <laughs> pairing a character's olfactory senses to an experience would have that same effect. Because they would have to announce what they were smelling. Mm. So that'd be really silly if someone just like sniffed at the air and said, oh, cinnamon. And we, we were meant to feel that with them. Whereas as long as we are part of a hearing audience, the song is going to do that for us. The character doesn't have to explain what's going on. <laughs> so I was thinking how funny it would be if we tried to rely more on smell in things like movies. I was just uh, I was looking at Wikipedia because you said Justin Long, and I'd never seen the first Jeepers Creepers. I didn't realize he was in it. Apparently, he's also in Jeepers Creepers 2, which I have seen. What? I, I'm pretty sure it was back. his character, though. Yeah, I think he was been. dead. Well, Deader maybe, maybe dead. it's a flashback. Maybe he became a monster. I don't know. 
Uh, I don't really remember much about Jeepers Creepers 2. Um, I saw it in, again, I think I saw it in 2005. <laughs> Just at the year of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. So, for once, you're the one who took it gruesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least it was just a movie, though. It wasn't the world's going to end because of this. Not that you do that, but sometimes. Mm, Sometimes. (laughs) It's been known to happen. Doom and gloom. It's been known to happen. Um, Just just eyeballs. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's not like we have a, a super tight focus for this podcast. We're kind of all over the map sometimes, but... Um, in case anybody is wondering, yes, we do plan to bring this background to our normal sort of work productivity stuff at some point here. Um, <laughs> one, one other thing on the, this whole notion of sort of memories and emotion and, and, you know, soundtrack of our lifeness, um, of music that I'll say that I, I find kind of, I don't know, I'm, it's a little bit sad in a way, but I don't actually feel sad about it. It's just kind of like a, huh thing that I recently noticed that I've I've made a transition where I do still like music. I still listen to a pretty good amount of music, but music has kind of changed in the way I relate to it. Like, it's not important to me the way it used to be. Um, and I think that happens to a lot of people. Um, I, haven't, I don't know any research on this one, but, you know, just, just general observation. Um, and it's not just a matter of, okay, the music was good when I was young, but now it's stupid. Um, <laughs> That's that's kind of true, but I think it's also kind of true that a lot of, you know, stuff that I like and would like if I bothered to find it, there's probably as much of that being made today as ever. Um, and certainly whenever I go looking for new music, that seems to be the case. But music now has really, for me, stopped being something that I pursue sort of in and of itself. Like, I never, almost never just sit and listen to something while doing nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of my listening time... You know, when what I'm trying to do is distract myself from what I'm doing, very often what I'm listening to is podcasts or a little less often audiobooks mm-hmm. um, and a lot less often NPR because I can mm-hmm. only take so much of that. Um, but um, when I am listening to music, uh, very often it, it is in less of a, you know, let's make this car ride interesting or let's actively listen to this because it's important, quote unquote. Um, But more of a, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to listen to this now because I need to be in the right frame of mind to do this kind of work. Mm -hmm. Or because whatever I'm feeling right now, I want to be feeling something else while I'm doing something else. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, that's, you know, I do still listen to a lot of the stuff I've always listened to, but I also listen to a lot of instrumental music now for those Mm -hmm. purposes. Mm-hmm. So what are some examples of, um, you know, music being part of getting into a certain type of work for you? Well, um, for me, uh, basically any time from, let's say, early, early October through early February, um, if I am doing anything that requires me to be thoughtful, um, if I am, you know, doing any serious planning for the long term or um, I do this when I'm working on finance, like I'm, you know, when I'm doing our budget or something in, in that period of the year. Basically, anytime when I'm, I'm trying to, to, you know, make sure that I'm not just being focused, but that I'm actually slowing down and paying attention and being thoughtful, I will put Christmas music on, <laughs> um, instrumental Christmas music. Um, which I will also use. That's another one. You know, if I'm doing something that's kind of drudgery and I'm not in a good mood, I will also put Christmas music on in that time of year. Mm. Um, I will also sometimes be that guy and break the rules of, you know, the Christmas season outright and other times of the year. If it's, you know, if I'm feeling particularly dire, I might also put on my Pandora instrumental Christmas station, um, you know, on a random day in May, just cause I, I don't know. I find that frame of mind useful. Mm-hmm. Um, you are apologizing I, and explaining way too much on this podcast. <laughs> well, to you, I don't know about our listeners. Um, Again, when it comes to Christmas music, I don't think they matter. <laughs> <laughs> this um, is my sticking point. I, I do have a couple of other instrumental stations that I use for the same purpose during other times of year. Um, there is, I have a Pandora station based on an artist named... Um, Kurt uh, Bester, I want to say. Hmm. I want to make sure I get his name right. Um, seeing as I listen to the station all the time. 
but I just know it from the album cover. I just click on it. <laughs> um, but he is a actually I think technically he's a he's a composer. Um, yeah, yeah, that's him. Um, so he he does some sort of modern classical instrumental orchestral i don't even know what genre he's in um this is another thing i do is i i you know hook onto a song and like when i was young when i was 16 i'd want to know everything about that band which of Mm -hmm. course was much harder because the internet you know had just been born um but uh now like i hear a song and i just want that song and i don't really give a crap about the artist or his oeuvre or her oeuvre or anything to do with them (laughs) i don't care about their life i don't want to know where they're from i just i want this song and any other songs like it Mm-hmm. Um, but anyhow, I have a, I have a station based on him that gives me a bunch of modern instrumental, not Christmas, not classical stuff, um, on Pandora that I use as my non-Christmas Christmas music during other parts of the year. Um, the first song of his that I got actually, which is, which relates to the question you asked, um, the reason I know his name, um, barely is because... <laughs> Uh, Franklin Covey years ago put out, um, and you can still get this on Audible. You might even still be able to get the CD directly from them at franklincovey.com. Hmm. Um, but they put out a one CD sort of not audio book, but audio program, um, called, uh, let's see here. I'll have the, I'll have the name right for show notes, but basically it was along the lines of, of, you know, writing your personal mission statement hmm. and, it is, it's uh, about 45 minutes of tracks of various Franklin Covey consultants and other people, most of whom are not named, um, which I find really disconcerting, uh, talking about the process of writing a personal mission statement, um, which I don't necessarily advocate. But uh, it's not a bad program, but what I really liked is at the end, the last five tracks are instrumental, like, like sort of thoughtful, pensive um piano and and symphony um instrumental pieces sort of you know music to write mission statements to kind of stuff um and one of those tracks which i will look and see for show notes if there's anywhere you can just listen to it by itself on the web is called reflections on living uh by Hmm. kurt bester and that is also a really good piece if i need to you know i I feel like i really need to slow down and get thoughtful um partly because it's just good music to do that to but also partly because it is um i associate it with you know uh, 10 years ago when i was working at franklin covey when i first encountered this material Mm -hmm. and first used this music to that purpose right yeah no i i too rely on instrumental music when i need to uh so you mentioned financial work and and things where your attention is drawn in um yeah, that's me too. And I, as I was trying to take notes about, okay, what are, what are the different ways I, I use music in my work? What, the way that it's, it's part of getting into my work. Um, I thought it was funny because I was thinking about like, okay, well, there's Christmas music, there's my instrumental only Christmas music, and then there's non-Christmas instrumental music. <laughs> as I was dipping Vin, at the Venn diagram, the uh-huh. Venn diagram of well, Katie Focus. Yeah. Well, and I thought it was funny too that the the reference point was Christmas, not mm. other stuff. And then Christmas music. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like the way you can only talk about atheism by saying it's not theism. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Which is, which is one of the many reasons I find outspoken atheism kind of obnoxious. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, it's, you know, the, I don't think that's accidental though. I mean, maybe, maybe this is the same for you. We grew up, you know, 10 years apart, but we did come from very similar backgrounds. Um, for me, Christmas music is the reference point on that because Christmas music was the first place that I was aware of a large body of instrumental music that I liked. <laughs> if I would have been paying you know attention, I would have realized that there's an awful lot of of you know instrumental scores to movies that I enjoy quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, and I do listen to a lot of that nowadays as instrumental background as well. Um, when I need something more up-tempo instrumental, you know, I'll, I'll often go to some sort of triumphal John Williams piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but Christmas music was, was you know, that was, for me, say, again, circa 2005, if I wanted instrumental music to focus to, like, that's all I had. Well, you know, that's really funny because to give credit, well, and maybe this, maybe this is more so true for me. You'll have to chime in. Uh, we actually grew up with a lot of, of instrumental music. But my 
the experiences I'm thinking of are, so our mother who ran a home daycare business for 20 years, um, we, she would play lots of classical instrumental music, but it was ramping up to the daycare kids' nap time. <laughs> so you might fall asleep during it. <laughs> mm. um, so that there was that. You know, incidentally, that's also how um, I got into the new age music that I was into. She would play mm-hmm. Enya albums and things mm. like that. Um, because a lot of them are very chill, even ones with lighter tempos um it's still very soothing music mm-hmm. it is not abrasive there aren't abrupt turns things like that yeah the vocals are very choral in some moments but yeah mm-hmm. yeah so there was quite a bit but <laughs> yeah it was on, on the way to sleepy town <laughs> yeah i don't i think i think that's a little bit after my i like i'm i know i was still around for that when you're when you said it i I recognized what you're talking about, but yeah, that was, Mm -hmm. I wasn't quite around enough to call that directly to mind. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So I just think it's funny. Christmas music is the reference. So dear listener, if you didn't get that from (laughs) our previous cultural artifact episode. (laughs) Episode 40, Mannheim Steamroller Derby. Mm -hmm. It was formative. That is to say. Um, Yeah. I was thinking too, it is funny how, Um, It's almost a trope or a cliche in writing circles as well, talking about what type of music best facilitates writing. Um, Even in high school, I had a teacher who, to to show the different effects that music can have on on the writing process, um, Mm -hmm. would have us write for several minutes with different types of music playing and then ask us to reflect about it. Um, So I don't know how long this research has been going on but i i wondered if that was something she had picked up in teacherly circles and and wanted to try so it'd be one track of rock and roll one track of um something classical i know baroque music is often cited as um being good for productivity especially Mm -hmm. with deep writing and deep analysis and synthesis um which writing basically is right bringing ideas together and connecting them uh, just just so I can slip him into this episode, which otherwise I might not have been able to. Uh, in in the recording of his seminar that I frequently reference on this podcast, uh, David Allen said that he does his weekly review listening to Baroque music. Oh, I forgot that. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So you talked about moods a little bit, getting into the right frame of mind for work. Um, so I was thinking about that in terms of not just instrumental music, but I have quite a few playlists and different albums and, and go-to music on rotation that is good for certain moods and levels of stimulation and excitement and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, were you thinking of anything in particular with that? Um, Besides Christmas music. Yeah, maybe. I mean, uh, like I like I said, I've got. Um, I do sometimes listen to. I've I've said before. I'll sometimes put on like a Star Wars soundtrack um, to get into a particular frame of mind. Um, I've got one track in particular, um, an instrumental piece that that um, when I kind of need to roll up my sleeves and get busy at work, I will sometimes put on and put on repeat. And that's something something I'd also like to touch on before we go is my habit good bad or indifferent of listening to things on repeat um Mm -hmm. to an extraordinary excess sometimes um but i've got one track uh the artist's name is muxmool m-u-x-m-o-o-l um and it's it's uh kind of video gameish electronica for the most part Mm. um I'm I'm actually not a gigantic fan. I haven't found any of his other songs I like. But one song in particular, I'll link to it in show notes, but but the user or the listener rather can find it pretty easily online. It's called Get Better John. Um mm. that is just just absolutely sublime. It is phenomenal. Um and it's really good, you know, roll up your sleeves and, and get busy music. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's uh it's purely instrumental as well, which is handy. Mm. So that's one. Mm. Um, and very often at any given time, I guess we can, we can, I can touch on this now. Um, at any given time, I'm very likely to have a single song that I am fixated on 
and and this will change from time to time. So it it all, I almost can't you know I can cite examples, but they won't really be meaningful because right now probably none of them will be that song because I don't <laughs> really have one right now. But I'll go through these periods where for for days or for weeks, like I will be constantly when I need to to focus or do things or whatever, or even just drive, I will put a single song on repeat, um, and listen for whatever period I'm doing whatever I'm doing right then. Uh, and it'll be the same song over and over again for a long time. Uh, at the moment, I am actually avoiding listening to anything I haven't already heard off of Taylor Swift's 1989, <laughs> uh, because the first two songs off of that album that I encountered out in the world, Shake It Off and Style, ended up being that song, um, <laughs> both for multiple weeks. Where <laughs> I just, I could not. And it was, again, I didn't didn't download the album and listen to the album. I got that song and just listened to that song in both of those cases. Um, Max's and, song of the month <laughs> usually year sometimes uh, and usually like whatever song that is will be very good for for getting into the right mood to do to get stuff done mm-hmm. um, it, it almost doesn't matter you know what it is because you know different kinds of songs end up in that role um, although that's very often pop stuff or or an instrumental track like the case of that uh, mm-hmm. that Mux Mule song I just mentioned mm-hmm no, that happens to me too. Um, and it was interesting. We had been looking at an article from Fast Company mm-hmm. about how music affects your productivity, which we'll link to in show notes. Um, and that author too was talking about getting stuck on the same tracks and then, um, you know, spontaneous or no, may, shoot, maybe this is somewhere else. Cut all this out. I think, um, I think this is, you're thinking of a different one that I sent you. But I yes. think it's in the passage. Dang. Okay. Cut all this out. <laughs> So we had been talking about a chapter from um, a book you drew my attention to from Tyler Cohen, um, The Age of the Infovore, um, talking about an artist who will put one or two songs on repeat, like you're saying, for a month or more, and then, mm-hmm. um, as this person says, spontaneously get bored and switch. Um, mm-hmm. And it is that sort of... I have that sort of mysterious experience too, where for whatever reason, my brain really keys into a certain song. Maybe it's a certain line or just something about the sound of it. And then I just, I gobble it up until I can't stand it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll do the same thing. Um, often, and I don't, I, I wonder what the difference is even psychologically. Um, for me more often, it will be a set of songs like that so mm-hmm. it might be anywhere from three to ten songs that are giving me that feeling. Sure. And I'll listen to them in the same order and repeat the list over and over again. Mm-hmm. A little um, a little playlist. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I, I will get sick of almost all of them, cut them all out, add in, you know, whatever my newest version is. So I sort of get to tipping points, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also am pretty reliant on whole albums that I love that have become familiar Mm-hmm. And that sort of thing. Um, sure. Or random things like um, when, I don't know if he had been making music before, but the the British artist Hosier, um, when his couple of singles in the last year or so came out, um, I went looking for live versions of a couple of those songs just to see what was out there and, um, you know, how he sounds live as a singer. And I ended up getting hooked on a recording of him performing at Bonnaroo. So like mm-hmm. a 45 minute set or something like that. I've watched that video maybe 20 times. And by watched, I mean, I had it playing while I was doing work on my computer or working on something in my office. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason that, um, you know, people use the word journey when they talk about music sometimes, you know, when you're moving through an album or a playlist or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but for whatever reason, my brain really likes that concert recording yeah. for whatever reason. Uh, a non-Taylor Swift, non-instrumental uh, non example popped into my head when you, uh, when you, mentioned, when you said the words British artist. Um, I flashed <laughs> all the way back to uh, 2002, a previous example of this, just to show it's been going on for a long time. The acoustic version of Daniel Bedingfield's Gotta Get Through This <gasps> yes! um, was one of these songs for me for, for probably about a month in 2002. 
Mm-hmm. And that was a time where I listened to a lot of music, um, a big variety of, of, you know, lyrical music from the preceding 20 years and, and new stuff coming out. You know, music was a much bigger part of my life. But even then, I would get stuck on songs like this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's mm-hmm. that was a... Yeah, Daniel Bedingfield, um, who I know that song of his, I know one other song of his, and I know that uh, Natasha Bedingfield is his sister. And mm-hmm. that's all I know about him. <laughs> Once again. Uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, although as I think about it, I think this is I think this is him. I'll double check and put the story in show notes. I do think at the time I also knew a little bit of his story because it was kind of an interesting one. I think he I think this was him that I read about. Um he made that particular single, that song, by like maxing out his credit card to buy recording equipment and he made it in his apartment as sort of a demo and then wow. it became a, a number one jam, as Strong Bad would say. Um, and, uh, the rest is history, uh, literally, cause nobody cares about him now, but his sister's still kind of a deal. Yeah. The rest is Daniel Bedingfield. <laughs> the rest is still unwritten. Uh, cut it off. <laughs> yeah. 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 The single song thing, the reason I, I brought that Tyler Cohen book to your attention, the age of the infovore for the listeners information um it's not about music per se it's actually um the original title of the book was create your own economy and then when it went to paperback they gave it a new title which is equally not very descriptive i think um but it's it's theoretically about um economic life in the internet age and how um you know, we might not have as much money, but there's more stuff around for us to do, mm-hmm. um, to participate in, to create, to consume. Uh, but really, it's actually about neurodiversity and um, Asperger syndrome and autism. Um, and it's it's a very good book if you're interested in any of those topics or don't really understand or um, know someone who in, in your life who has autism and you're a little bit concerned about how they fit into the world. It's actually a very hopeful book about how... Um, people with various various levels and forms of autism are getting along better in the internet age than they would have in the past. Um, mm-hmm. And I really like it. But uh, the, the particular passage that you mentioned before um, is uh, the, the woman cited is a neuroscientist who has Asperger's syndrome. Um, and this is an example of, of, you know, the different ways that people with various, you know, with, with as Tyler Cohen says, neurodiversity of various kinds, um, processes and deals with the world differently from, from how, you know, us quote unquote normals do and would expect. Um, but it struck me when I was reading this book, there were several things in the book where I was, I mean, I, uh, I want to say, A, I do not think I'm autistic and B, that would not be a bad thing if I was. Uh, but there were several things in the book that just sort of struck me as, huh, I do that. And this one stood out in my mind and, and, you know, is the one example I can call to mind at any given time, because I have always done this as long as I could remember um, this mm-hmm. getting latched, latched onto a single song for weeks at a time and just listening to it on repeat for hours on end mm-hmm. that I don't really know anybody else who does to that, that extreme. <laughs> when I read this, I was like, Oh, I'm her. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Well, and we've pointed out many times how similar the two of us are. So I, I, I felt comfort. I felt affirmed that, <laughs> you know, that's something other people do too. Um, yeah. Uh, this idea of variety, I think is interesting too. Um, I've got another response to everything you just said. So I am glad that you went into, um, that book because I do think mm-hmm. it's connected to what we're talking about today and the things we, sure. we, we try to do on the show. Um, so bring me back to that in a second if I forget about it. Okay. <laughs> um, but what I was thinking about was that as consumers of things in the world, it is interesting how some people seem more predisposed to seek variety, whereas the familiar is a much more, is a much better experience for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so Billy and I have been talking about this in terms of, um, like there are certain, in more ways, even though I am more extroverted and I often seek more uh, intense or stimulating experiences, I'm also sort of a homebody about certain preferences. So mm-hmm. I will eat the same foods over and over again. 
<laughs> you know. Okay, we're getting we're getting back into our genetic similarities here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I do I, that as well. Oh, geez. And it's not like I'll get sick of leftovers sometimes, but it like mm-hmm. if you offered me it's, fresh it's the leftoverness pizza. though. Like it's not like I would have that same meal all week long. Right. Like it's, it's the fact that it's leftover that makes uh-huh. it unappealing after four times. <laughs> so if you would hand me a hot pizza whenever I wanted it multiple times a week. I am so down for that. Pizza it's a good thing you don't work food. at CeCe's. Um, <laughs> hot and ready. Um, <laughs> I think you're thinking of Little Caesars. Uh, I think you're thinking of uh, Julius Caesar. Mm, Murdered. Bowl haircut. Yeah, yeah. Uh, salad bowl haircut. On the salad bar. <laughs> I, think you're, I think you're thinking Caesar's. of Caesar dressing. Oh, yep. Well, don't rest on your laurel spinach leaves. Ooh, you're good. Yeah. This is this is my brain right now, folks. Welcome what are we to talking it. about? Welcome to my brain. Um, <laughs> we were talking about familiarity. So, yeah, yeah. I could eat the same food. I mean, nachos. Like, you get me a good plate of nachos with some great toppings. Like, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that multiple days a week. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Billy very much likes to make sure that we are finding new recipes and trying new things and... Um, you know, getting some good diversity. Not that I will eat horrible foods. I mean, foods that are hor- horrible for me mm-hmm. too much. It's more so about the the, the stagnating. Um, but same thing with music too. Um, we've talked about how he, and I, I'll have to double check to make sure I'm not misremembering this, but I think he has a much lower tolerance for repetitive music listening. So this is not some, the thing that we're yeah. talking about. We do, yeah. He well, does, I, he does not I, do I think, nearly I think to the, the version, extent. The version that I've described, I think most people have a very low tolerance for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for I don't know. For me, I think a lot of it is focus. Um, so we were talking about a an article from Fast Company about how music affects your productivity, um, and in there, that's that's something that. Um, the research and the author are, are are saying is is better for focus. Familiarity is better for focus, whether mm-hmm. that's a consistent type of music or um, an album that you have worn out yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, there's um, yeah, there's there's a, a couple of passages right back to back in the article um, where she says first lyrics can be very distracting and then familiarity is best for focus and I think that's a that's a good point to underscore. Um, you mentioned writing before and, and the effect on writing. One thing I would say is if you're writing or reading, lyrics are probably a bad idea mm-hmm. because y- y- the same part of your brain that that you know writes words and listens to words is also going to be engaged in in hearing the music while you're trying to put words on the page or, mm-hmm. or read them off the page. So, I mean, that's obviously a distraction. Um, but I think that is somewhere, and I've, I've heard people say this, where if you are really familiar with an album, like you know that song inside and out, you know, this is something you listen to over and over again in high school um, and, and have not let out of your rotation ever since. Maybe that is something you can have on while you're writing mm-hmm. um, if you are deeply familiar with it that way. Um, and I'll, I'll say too, with instrumental music, um, that's one of the reasons I like the, the Christmas station I have for, for focus purposes, kind of even better than the music I have for other parts of the year, even though I like the Christmas music a little bit better is that the Christmas music is almost by definition familiar. Mm -hmm. Like it's really hard to encounter a melody I haven't heard before on an instrumental Christmas station on Pandora. It's That's not true. impossible, but it is hard. Um, the, the most I'll probably get is if I, if I run into a Jim Brickman song that I have not heard before, very often he'll have little licks and little, little melodic interpretations and flourishes that are not part of the original arrangement or melody. Um, you know, Mannheim Steamroller, we talked about that before. Very often they will... <laughs> <laughs> what was the phrase? Um, do just do do a straight enough opening that people recognize it, and then drive away into the sunset with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's still at the core. There is still you know the motif of the original song. Mm-hmm. Um, so like instrumental Christmas music will never surprise me enough to shake me out of whatever I'm doing. Um, that is the worst feeling. <laughs> and Pandora, Pandora, that is one of the downfalls. Is um, if you are looking for that type of focus and familiarity, 
I, I've had that experience where you get one of those rando Pandora choices mm-hmm. that you wonder who has crafted the algorithm to think that right. that song would be appropriate for this list. Um, oh. <laughs> and it just suddenly pulls you out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened to me. I created a, more recently, I created my <laughs> non-Christmas uh, instrumental piano station on Pandora. Um and it was going pretty well. It was a lot of classical. It was a lot of contemporary piano composers, um, all very similar. So that was going well. But then every once in a while, I would get an artist whose main work is covering popular rock songs on piano. And so not only would it be um, <laughs> very clearly a song that you only know with its lyrics, uh, but it would be a very different tempo, a very different um, mm-hmm. type of energy. So suddenly I would be hearing, I can't even think of a good example, but um, so it'd be the nice soft stuff, stuff that you've never associated with words. And then all of a sudden, you know, like a Taylor Swift cover on piano. Right. It's like, right. no, like yeah, now I'm in some... a different space. There, Well, there's the various like string quartets that cover, you know, U2 and pop songs. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll sneak in there and that's a little bit distracting. Uh, there's an artist who is, um, I don't really know most of his music, but, uh, his, I think it's, I'm going to just guess the pronunciation of his first name cause I haven't ever heard it said out loud, but Tayo Cruz, mm-hmm. T-A-I-O-C-R-U-Z, um, yeah. on a couple of my instrumental stations, I think the way it happened was he collaborated with, with, um, uh, you know, like a classically trained pianist at some point. And she was in the mix of one of these like instrumental or piano oriented stations that I had mm-hmm. on Pandora. And so I ended up getting a couple of his songs in there <laughs> because I had liked them and they had had a collaboration. So somehow the algorithm kicked over. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the only connection I could find when I researched it and tried to figure out. Cause it was, it was super disconcerting. Cause it was like, you know, all of a sudden this very heavily produced R and B pop, you know, driving song, dropping in in between, mm-hmm. you know, like a non-holiday Jim Brickman song and then then something new age right after, like he was right here in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I've, I've often found the instrumental stations are better for this, but not perfect. Pandora stations, for me, very often, the more I rate, the worse they get. <gasps> really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it drives me kind of crazy because I, I know some people have, have found the opposite. But more generally, like, there was a service called LaunchCast that was sort of a Pandora-ish. Um, you had a little bit more control, at least initially. Like, it was it was pretty fine-grained. You could go in and, uh, first of all, it had a 100-point rating scale. <laughs> mm. um, eventually, they implemented a setting where, like, it would be it would default to, like, a four-star system. But you could go back to the old one if you wanted. But you could rate genres, albums, songs... Um, or artists and and you could even contradict like you know make an artist a one so you never want to hear anything but one of their songs is a hundred so you want to hear it all the time wow um yahoo eventually bought them out and then then shut it down i don't know 2008 or 2009 but but it was a very similar idea just with this super fine-grained control and i found on that that station my my launch cast station um as i rated it got really really good at feeding me new things I would hope. And and even even like new things ahead of the curve, like, you know, almost a year before I heard her on the radio, it was giving me Sarah Bareilles, for instance, hmm. um, which proved to be, you know, for my tastes, pretty good um, as, as a recent example. And, you know, it was good for finding obscure stuff because, of course, it's just finding similar things, you know. What have, have, you know, somebody, somebody who rated these three bands highly that you rated highly also rated Pseudopod highly. So here's some Pseudopod. <laughs> um there's some 2002 alternative for anybody who was running in my musical circles back then. Mm-hmm. So I know it can be done well, but Pandora, I the more I rate, the worse a station gets. Mm-hmm. Almost always. Well, and again, with the this has got to be a joke, right? I feel like the fact that that, um, that Hawaiian singer's version of Over the Rainbow shows up mm-hmm. on every station I've ever created ever, <laughs> I feel like that's somebody's insider joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a, a lot of people observed um, a, a couple of years ago that that was happening with Adele. Mm-hmm. Like Adele mm-hmm. was everywhere. It's like, and, and um, do they, am I remembering this right? Does or did Pandora have a thing where you could 
see why it was recommending, why it was playing a particular song for you? Yeah, they tell you. Um, yeah. So it yeah. might be the type of choral arrangement, the type <laughs> of beat. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, at some point, I probably put this on Facebook, I feel like at some point I wrote a funny post about like, yo, I see that you have rated Metallica and Megadeth highly, so here's some Adele. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like that's the only reason it's because it's Adele. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because Adele. Because Adele. Mm-hmm. Very true. Uh, I haven't listened to 25 yet. I haven't either. I keep seeing jokes about uh, the song Hello, but all I've heard is enough for people to make a joke. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I haven't I haven't heard any of it. I'm sure it'll be fine. I, I don't mind Adele. Mm-hmm. I think I think among uh, female singer songwriters whose music became ubiquitous for one or two years in the last decade, um, we we got pretty lucky that Adele was one of those. That airtime <laughs> that's a really been, funny category. That airtime could have been taken up by something much worse. Yes, that's my feeling on Adele. Mm-hmm. <laughs> better yeah, better think... Adele than Mumford and Sons, who oh is gosh. not a female female singer songwriter, but it could just be a joke. Is also ubiquitous. Yeah, I think it's I I lover of the light. It's a prank. Could be. It's a prank at my expense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe 25 is going to end up being like Taylor Swift's 1989, and I'm just going to I'm gonna have to avoid it so I don't get stuck on it. Could be. It could be your next rotation, Max's Song of the Month. Mm-hmm. I just, I feel, I feel weird about being a now 37-year-old man who spent uh, six weeks earlier this year listening to no music on purpose except for Shake It Off. I think it's hilarious. I, I'm appreciative that you have some uh, uh, more traditional quirks that don't just make you a grumpy old man. <laughs> uh, the only thing I was grumpy about with that song was that I could not stop listening to it. Um I don't know, and it's it's. I don't even think it's the perfect song. Like I want to be clear too, it's a good song. Like all all credit to Taylor, <laughs> it's a good song. She did a good job, but uh, it is. I don't love the instrumentation of the verses. Um, I think the verses themselves are kind of juvenile. Like I understand the message of the song. Like this is there's a legitimate story here about her reacting to um, unfair criticism in the media and by the the you know the haters who are named in the um <laughs> chorus the haters who have to hate 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 mm. um i i think it's a very tweener song for a lot of a lot of its passages but but the chorus is probably the best hook in pop music of the century so far it's astonishingly good <laughs> And and like people, I, I've heard, I've I've seen people, you know, bitching about it online, saying, "Oh, it's it's such an obvious hook," or "Oh, you know, it's it's so calculated." Well, I don't, frankly, I don't really care if it's obvious because nobody else did it, and I don't care if it's calculated. Like if she made it with a spreadsheet, that's fine. It turned out, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it came together. It's really good. Um, yeah, it's just a good, and that one in style, style didn't stick quite as hard, but it it I still went probably three weeks listening to nothing but style. I love how seriously you're taking this. Uh, it's, I don't know. It's, music is important. We should take it seriously. No, I just mean you being stuck on this song in particular. Oh, oh, sure, sure. Love it. No, yeah, I don't I, mean, no, I'm in agreement, obviously. I wouldn't still be here. I would have yeah. made a pre-recorded track of me saying, yes, Max, and then I'd be... <laughs> and then walked away and had a sandwich. I'd be making more coffee right now or something. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Travis and I, we, we spent like 20 minutes talking about style at a party at... Uh, my father-in-law's house. I believe it. Uh, a few yeah. weeks ago. Again, your earnestness yeah. on this reflection is, mm. is lovable. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I guess I do yeah. real still still really care about music. Mm-hmm. In in its own way, and I think so. You know, zooming out to the importance of all this, um, and this is why I was glad you you did explain the not very aptly titled Tyler Cohen book. Um, I think it is important to think about what we know as a collective human body about all the different ways of being in the world. This is Mm -hmm. something I talk to my students a lot about is um, recognizing and affirming and realizing the possibilities and limitations for how people are in the world, how they behave, how they respond to it. um, All these different things, because if we have to think about these things, then we're probably going to become more reflective about how we work in particular 
So even if it's not a matter of, um, you know, I would like to understand neurodiversity better, you know, if the only thing one would take from reading that book is, oh, I recognize parts of myself in here. I wonder Mm -hmm. why I do that. And you start that reflective process, then that's still a win for humans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's empathy building in a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you understand yourself better, you might be more Mm -hmm. apt to think about how other people work as well. Right. Or, Mm. or if you're me, you might have a, um, a, a personal psychological hypochondria where you start to say, huh. (laughs) What if? (laughs) It's like, it's like the person who gets a bump on their arm and then looks it up and is suddenly convinced they have bone cancer. Um, I, I did that with that book a little bit. (laughs) You thought you had bone cancer? No, no. I I think you were reading it wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what they say: the readers got to read, 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 read. No, they don't. <laughs> I think that was the end. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. music. Indeed. La la la. Uh, <laughs> that was music. <laughs> um, one thing I will say: I don't have anything profound to say about it, and you could always cut this in wherever cut it out whatever yeah i don't Um, think we have anything funny enough to go after the credits so yeah so i should make this obnoxious to just keep Um, talking i was thinking about one thing we didn't talk about was at what volume we enjoy all these different types of music Mm -hmm. so i was thinking of the way that um in terms of mood and emotion and energy certain music is often my palate cleanser um so we sort of talked about we didn't call it this, but in previous episodes, we had talked about how some of this music, as we've discussed it, functions as white noise, right? It's mm-hmm. the way to focus. It's the way to um It's a way to frame. not focus on the people around me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but in terms of the mood stuff, yeah, I was thinking about uh, palate cleansing music experiences. So things like I might be on my way to something, commuting in my car. So I might for whatever reason, absolutely need to sing along very loudly to something very up-tempo and familiar and um, very, very, very loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, things like that. Um, I also had a moment the other day in my office where um, I really needed to, I don't know if it's an, an emotional white noise thing, like I needed to give myself permission to not worry about stuff. So mm-hmm. um, I turned up a sort of alternative music pandora station very very loudly um mm. there's some so it was a station i created uh mostly with hozier and alt j i don't know if you're familiar with this band um also a british group i think let's say yes and move on yeah it's it's good it's very they're a very interesting group they do yeah just very strange stuff but it's very cool um but yeah, so I, I cranked that station very loudly, and that helped me. Um, like I said, I was sort of giving myself permission to stop trying to work so hard mm-hmm. because I was psyching myself out of some work because I was thinking about how much of it I had and what time yeah. of day it was and all that. Um, so it was sort of the permission to have a little work party in my office and <laughs> crank my music and whatever. Katie's got to crank, 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 crank. Oh, we are so done. Yikes. You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, to get in touch with us via email, or to subscribe to the show, visit us online at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the show, please visit iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that's the best way to help new listeners find the show. And finally, if you'd like to get updates or communicate with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at PriorityFM. That's at P-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y-F-M. Thanks again for listening. Anyway, volume. Oh, oh, one thing I was going to bring up too, so this this could probably be dropped in. Um, talking about emotional frames of mind, 
I am such a sucker. So we talked when we were reviewing Susan Cain's Quiet about the mm-hmm. introversion, extroversion spectrum um, and research associated with it. Uh, I had talked about how one of my, in, again, because the show's about me and my processing, in my, in my journey of self-discovery, um, recognizing that I'm a very sensitive person, like I'm physiologically sensitive to certain experiences, um, certain things I experience very deeply. I'm also prone to have my attention drawn by certain sensory experiences. So mm-hmm. I was talking about how jarring it can be when the rando Pandora song comes out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> that's jarring to me. Um, <laughs> the other day I have a Pandora station that's dedicated to soundtracks from musicals and I was doing dishes and <laughs> some songs from Les Mis kept popping up <laughs> in a sort of string <laughs> And <laughs> look down, look down. <laughs> you haven't missed a spot. Um, no, look but the down, look down, and scrub away that pot. Pretty much, but not even that. So, <laughs> do you hear the people sing, and then its reprised version at the end came on, and all of a sudden. Because I hate it when the dead people sing. My family knows this. We went and saw the most recent movie adaptation. I absolutely hate it when the dead people sing. Because my body, my emotions, my brain cannot handle it unless I am prepared. Mm-hmm. So it, it comes on. I was like, oh, I love this song. It's so powerful. And then the dead people started singing. And suddenly I am tearing up over the goddamn dishes. Mm. Anyway. Music. So those hmm. were Katie's tangents of the topic. I like it. Um, I wonder if anybody's going to be mad that we we. Um, I've never credited what our uh, what our theme music is, and I wonder if they're going to be mad that we spent a whole episode on music and I still haven't talked about it. Oh well, would you like to? No. <laughs> <laughs>